putting your ask out there to strangers and being very shameless about it. I think as I grow older, I've just kind of <laughs> gotten rid of a lot of inhibitions. I DM celebrities I want <laughs> to give soap ends to. I DM everybody and I just don't really have a lot of shame in asking for what I need and want. Welcome to Social Entrepreneur. My name is Tony Lloyd. I'm a former Fortune 500 executive, but today I spend my time with changemakers who are making an impact in the world. We hear exciting stories of ordinary people just like you who are making a difference. They share their successes, their failures, and what they're learning along the way. Thanks for being with me today. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to Social Entrepreneur and today's guest, Shubham Isser of Sopan. It's a product that kids use to draw designs on themselves, and then when they wash their hands, they wash off the design and, in so doing, practice good hygiene. So that's an amazing product by itself, and we've learned over the last few years how important hand hygiene is. They also have a give-back program. The founders are two amazing women. I don't want to keep you from this, so here she is to tell the story, Shubham Isar of Sopen. Hi, I'm Shubham Isar. I'm the co-founder of Sopen. SoPen is a soap kids can draw with on their hands. Kids are encouraged to draw all over their hands and removing traces of the drawing, they thoroughly wash their hands for 20 to 40 seconds. So we make hand washing fun and also help avoid all the nasty germs and diseases you can get from not maintaining proper hygiene. I'm trying to get a picture of this. So it's a soap, it comes in a pen. And the company is S-O-A-P-E-N, right? SoPen. It comes in different colors. In three colors. So okay. think like a liquid soap bottle, roll-on bottle filled with liquid soap. You can roll the soap on. It saves soap. And also kids have fun. They draw all over their hands. Who doesn't love drawing? So we just wanted to make something that some kids think of as a chore and turn it into something that actually is a fun activity for them. Okay. And why is that important? When we started the company, we just graduated from the Parsons School of Design and the Industrial Design Program. And both my co-founder and I were very interested in social impact. We found the UNICEF Variables for Good Challenge online, which highlighted horrible statistics around infant mortality. Things you and I don't think about kids under the age of five dying of diarrheal diseases, respiratory infections, and more than 50% of diseases that can lead to death at that age can be avoided by just washing your hands with soap. And when we found this statistic through the UNICEF Variables for Good Challenge, it was just so shocking to us. We both grew up in India and these stats, a lot of them came from our home country. So that's why we wanted to focus on hand washing with soap, making it a fun activity. And yeah, it's just a cause that's really close to our hearts. Yeah. So you're from New Delhi, right? Yes. And then you went to Parsons School of Design. How did that happen? Yeah. So growing up in India, I was very, very interested in, I think, art in general, more, I wouldn't say design specifically. Growing up, I loved doodling. I was a good student, but 
I think my interest and happiness definitely lied in arts and um, crafting and just um, very, very interested in that. And I also loved reading. So my ideal job when I started thinking about what I wanted to do after school was I wanted to be a book jacket designer. That's it. I wanted to design book jackets. And I was like, okay, that's technically graphic design. I should think about that. And so I started looking at schools to apply to, I applied to some schools within India as well. And then in, in the end, I ended up looking at Parsons School of Design in New York, um, from New Delhi to New York. I think I was just very attracted to the city's bustling energy and the diversity. And I felt like I would really fit into the very, very diverse culture that already existed in New York. Yeah, so that's what I came to the United States for to go to Parsons School of Design at the young age of 17. Officially this year marks my 10th year in New York, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's what I initially came for. And then I ended up just starting a company and settling in, in New York. Yeah. So you were in Parsons School of Design. And I understand that you started to understand that you liked designing tactile things. And so you were attracted to more the industrial design side of things, right? Yeah. So I went in undecided, even though I had this dream crazy job of being a book jacket designer. I knew Which, that. by the way, is a great, that's a great <laughs> uh, job. I, I would love to have that job. That's a fantastic yeah, job. Maybe, maybe I'll get to it later on in life. But yeah, I went in undecided and at most design schools in the US, you have one year that's foundational in the undergrad year and you try different things. So we had our classes were structured in 2D, 3D, and then we had a lab class that introduced us to different communities around New York. And I realized that my favorite class was 3D and I just really loved working with my hands. There was one point, I think I really loved this one project where we had to create sort of like a shelter and I created this jacket that turned into a sleeping bag and I was like wow this is so cool I love working with my hands and thinking about spaces and how objects fit into them so that's what really attracted me to industrial design and beyond that I think the idea that we're essentially problem solvers and looking at a at a particular problem and thinking how can I make this better whether it's furniture whether what's what you're sitting on or it's the lighting in a room or whatever it is. So really loved that aspect of it. Yeah. And so you go through this, you meet your co-founder. What's your co-founder's name again? Amanat, Amanat Anand. Amana. So you and Amana, you graduate and then you stumble upon this UNICEF wearable for goods challenge. Did I get that right? It's UNICEF wearables for good challenge. And Amanat's name is A-M-A-N-A-T, Amanat. Okay. So like you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll get it wrong. Sorry. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks for helping me with that. Ama is fine too. She goes by Ama. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yes. UNICEF variables for good challenge. Yeah. And so I'm trying to picture this moment, right? So you've graduated from this design school. Were you looking for a job? Did you find a job? Like what happens right in there? And then you and Ama, you find this this challenge. So to describe that moment for me. Yeah. So both of us had just graduated. And while we were at Parsons in our senior year, we had collaborated on a lot of furniture projects together. So we knew we loved working together. 
And then post-graduation, I started a job in fabrication, designing for a design build in New York. And my co-founder, Amana, also started a uh, job in uh, furniture design. So we both had our own jobs. And because of that love of collaboration, when we were at Parsons, we had access to the wood shop, the metal shop. We were always working on new projects together. So definitely we're like, okay, we see this challenge, apply and work together once more. So that's what started our brainstorming into looking into SOPEN. Yeah. And so you you find this challenge. Was it, how did it work? Did you put together a pitch deck? And this was, you didn't actually have a physical product at that time, right? You were just like, this is an idea. That's all you had was an idea, right? Exactly. So we come across the UNICEF Wearables for Good Challenge. The reason that we found it was that UNICEF partnered with two organizations called ARM and FROG. And FROG Design is like the pinnacle of industrial design. They've done incredible work in the field and kind of are thought leaders in industrial design. So through just being in the know of what's happening in the design world, we saw that FROG had collaborated with UNICEF on this. And that's the reason that we applied So the challenge highlighted uh, a couple of areas that they wanted designers to respond to. So they ranged from maternal health, lack of emergency responses, and then infant mortality, like I mentioned. So anything that related to mother and child, since that's UNICEF's focus. So when we saw the statistics around infant mortality, that's when we started thinking about, okay, why, what is the root cause? And is there anything that we can look into that we can actually address from a product perspective? And hand washing really stood out as the golden rule of prevention for a lot of diseases. One of the things that designers also talk about is at that level, trying to create behavior change in kids. Around three years of age is when most behavior habits, especially around hand hygiene and hygiene in general, they set in. So we wanted to focus on kids and that young age and create a fun habit that they carry through to life. I like this whole concept that you see the challenge and the challenge is is very broad. So it's how might we reduce infant mortality? And so now you had to do your research and you probably knew something about this anyway, but you had to do your research and in your research, you see this whole thing about wash, about hand washing is so important to prevent uh, infant mortality. Am I getting that right? That you either had previous knowledge about the importance of hand washing or you had to do your secondary research to find that? A little bit of both. So even though I grew up in India and obviously very, very aware of the lack of hygiene in rural areas sometimes, or or forget lack of hygiene, I think just a general lack of awareness. But also Amanath and I grew up in very privileged households where our parents knew the importance of maintaining proper hygiene. We went to schools that had access to soap, which for a lot of low-income places is not possible. So We actually came back to India in the period that we submitted to the challenge. There were two stages. So we submitted an initial concept and then 10 uh, of those concepts went on to the second stage. So you reiterate more, you work with some mentors that the program provided, and then we then submitted a more refined idea with 
how we see this product being used, what are what is our reasoning, how are we going to make it a reality? And then when you submitted that pitch is when you got picked to the next stage. And in that two-week period being selected as the 10 finalists, we came back to um, Mumbai and New Delhi and went back to schools in India to see, okay, what is the reality in low-income schools? And we realized that Often there is a one teacher to 60 students ratio in each classroom. And when resources are so strong, kids, they're they're very conscious as a community. Indians are very, very conscious about waste. And I think the teachers were realizing that if they gave kids free reign to use soap whenever they wanted, which is soap, which is often donated to the school, they were just over pumping the entire bottle and using it in one go or they were stealing it and taking it home. So they were regulating soap. So it was one teacher to 60 students and the soap was kept in the classroom cabinet. And then she would squeeze a coin-sized amount into each child's hand around the midday meal. So in most low-income schools, there's a government program that gives you a midday meal. So they were essentially washing their hands once a day. And then if there wasn't a helper helping the teacher with the hand washing, she would just not use soap. So kids would sometimes go a whole day without actually washing their hands even once. And then we found that really shocking. So we were thinking, what if we created something that's portable? So a soap that you can take on the go, that can travel with you, that the teacher can monitor within the classroom, and then the kids can go and wash their hands outside. So this was one of the top top processes behind creating like a roll-on application rather than a pump bottle. And then it also ended up just actually reducing the ton of waste that was happening in schools. And then we also obviously saw what are kids under the age of five actually doing. And even in that preschool setting, in that young age, they love drawing. That's what they're doing, color theory. They're drawing on everything that they can see. So we wanted to take something that they really loved, which is playing with color and drawing and marry it into something that they would think maybe think of as a chore, which is hand washing. I, I love this story. Thank you so much for sharing those uh, details, Shabon. I like that you went from this sort of secondary research to this primary research. You, you can't solve a problem that you don't know. You have to be in the space with the problem and observe it in order to really get a feeling of what's actually happening in the classroom. And for the people in that space, a lot of times what's happening is invisible to them, right? And so you're observing them regulating the soap. You're observing children go an entire day without uh, washing their hands. You observe the children drawing. You observed their playfulness and color and all that. And so you go from this sort of how might we reduce infant mortality to how might we increase hand washing to how might we change behavior, especially in very young children around hand washing all taking into account all these things that you observed within that context. So now you go through this second uh, presentation. In your first presentation, did you have the concept of a pen that you draw on yourself with, or was it something else? Yeah, the drawing aspect was always there since the beginning, but obviously what it looks like now is not what it looked like on day one. Initially, we wanted 
know if this is if you're very familiar with these, but you know, there's these wax crayons that you can peel the paper off. Right. It was as simple as that. So it was a right. soap stick that you could essentially peel the paper off as you're going and using. And we went from bar soap to liquid soap due to a lot of happy errors. We ended up also realizing that kids just prefer liquid soap to bar soap at that age. But initially it was, we couldn't really chemically engineer the bar soap at the time. Well, sneak peek, we are working on a new version of that initial idea still. And it's seeming very, very possible. But yeah, initially it looked completely different. I cannot tell you how many iterations we've created, maybe like (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of prototypes. Yeah. So you put in your second pitch to this uh, UNICEF wearables for good challenge. And then what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, we came to know that we won, which was pretty crazy because the fellows who were also a part of the challenge, there was just some incredible ideas and it just felt so validating to think that someone else sees the value in this idea as well. It was a crazy time. I remember the challenge post that we got some prize money that we could put towards research and development. They flew us out to San Francisco for the intensive uh, post-winning accelerator where they connected us. We saw our heroes at Frog Design in real life. We connected with a lot of people in UNICEF. Initially, just a lot of mentors who, when you come up with this idea, had side jobs at the time. No one knew that this could be something real. It just helps when you have community. And I think early on, since that day, we started understanding the power of community just through being in that accelerator, feeling supported, and then being able to take take the conversation forward talking to people and being like, I don't know how to make soap. I'm an industrial designer. Do you know a chemical engineer? So thinking about things that way and really being very transparent about not knowing things. I think yeah. that's that's the big thing I learned early on. I did want to touch, touch base on something that you said where you were like, you looked at this problem and then you went into this problem. I, I feel like growing up in India, I obviously knew that all these issues existed, but I think going to design school sort of gave me the tools to address them. I grew up in a very socially conscious I, family. My parents, my mom's a lawyer, half her practice is pro bono. She does so much social work, my, my father too. So my mom would always say, as long as you're giving back to the community, that's all that matters, no matter what you do. And that just was such a grand idea to me, like giving back to the community, how? But I think going to design school, I just got the tools that I needed to respond to problems in a structured way, if that makes sense. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's a great call out that, you know, lots of people have a burning passion for, let's say, the climate crisis. So they really, they care, they care about this thing, but design gives you the tools to do the empathy work, to ideate and iterate your way towards a a prototype and then uh, test these ideas. So it, it takes that sort of concept level of heart, right? I have the heart right now for this issue 
for wash yeah. for, you know, children dying unnecessarily. I have a heart for that. But then the head part is that design stuff that you're talking all about. The other thing that I'm interested in, you're talking about community. You were a 17-year-old when you came to New York. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about, was there a community around you? Even though you came here to New York, uh, you came to New York as a 17-year-old, did you land within a community that supported you? And then also a little something about being an immigrant entrepreneur, how those two things kind of collide together. Let's answer that first question first about community when you were there as a 17-year-old. Yeah, I think it was definitely very overwhelming. I grew up in a very tight-knit family. I'm extremely close to my parents. I even now I call them two times a day. So it was extremely hard. But I think what's great about going to school in New York is that, especially Parsons, there were just a ton of international students. And I'm very lucky in that because that would not have been the case 20 years ago. But there were just so many international students who had landed in New York for the first time as well. And we were navigating through this crazy undergrad year together. And I I think there's definitely community in that. I also very early on learned that I connect with people over food and New York is just such a great place to do that. Cooking for people, eating their culture's food, I think has over time really embedded itself in, in my life. So I definitely built community, used food as a way to build community as well. And then the rigors of art school, it may sound so fun, but it's just such a hard, hard um, year to go through. And you're really going through it together. My oldest friend now is someone I met in my freshman year class. You know, we've um, known each other for 10 years now, and I definitely couldn't have gotten through it. Plus, thank God for FaceTime and video calling where you can, I can see my parents who are two continents away in almost like you and I are talking. I'm very interested in how you went from this concept of you you win this, this challenge and you get to go meet some of your heroes at Frog Design, but you still have an idea. Right. And, and you need to go from that idea to something tangible to mark. I thought it was interesting. I asked how you, how you first funded everything and you used the phrase grants, challenges, and incubators. And I wanted to go lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the truth. It really is the truth. That's how we did it. See had part-time jobs, but after winning the UNICEF challenge, we're very frugal. I think that also comes with being an immigrant entrepreneur. Both my co-founder and I are extremely frugal people. We are very conscious about our resources. Finding the right partners was really the hardest thing. Initially, we also tried making soap in India and spent quite a lot of time trying to connect with chemical engineers here didn't really work out. And then we moved production and looking for someone to connect with in in the US. It's crazy. The big break that we got in connecting with um, the right partners, we were at an accounting firm and the accountant was like, oh, there's this Indian CEO of this company that you should really meet who um, 
he's in the CPG field. So he ended up connecting us with a CPG mentor who really connected with us as another immigrant entrepreneur and made the connections for us to go and meet contract manufacturers. Because until then, every time we would talk to a chemical engineer on the phone, it all sounded great. And we would show up in person and they'd realize how inexperienced we are. They'd realize how young girls who really don't understand anything about chemical engineering and all these problems would crop up. And it was just all our quotes would go up and then like those scare tactics would start. So I think that's when I understood the power of a warm intro. And this mentor of ours just really helped us find the right people, really takes that one person to be interested in you and give you space in in a field uh, that you might not know anything at all about. So that's how it started. I love something you're bringing up here. So you have the challenge of being a young entrepreneur being women entrepreneurs, being brown entrepreneurs. We know the statistics, right? That like less than 2% of all venture capital goes to women entrepreneurs, black, indigenous, people of color, even lower percentages. So this was a key thing to leverage your network and to leverage your network's network in order to get the kind of credibility and mentoring that you needed in order to navigate all that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was definitely hesitation, at least on my part, about talking about SOPEN. Then I realized the more I talk about it, the more people who might be able to help us or might have some you know, good ideas about how we can take it to the next level would hear about us. I'm a big believer in cold emailing I've literally DM'd every person I've ever looked up to. And the worst is that they don't see it and they say no. But oftentimes, you know, they respond. I, I, I have reached out to so many people and I've just been so surprised about how many people are willing to have a conversation on the phone for 15 minutes. You had to prototype, you had to actually design, develop, create these soap pens. Yeah. You mentioned something to me before we started to hear about a misstep that you took about <laughs> prototyping these. So can, can you share that with us? Yeah. So initially we had a bar soap concept and we'd gotten pretty far in it. And then we put a break to it because um, going into technicalities here, but it requires a lot of pigment for bar soap to actually mark. Traditionally, bar soap is hard and it's not really, you know, we're essentially trying to create a lipstick that is a soap. So existing bar soap manufacturers weren't really sure if they could do that because it would literally stay in their entire machinery that they have to make other soaps in as well. So we had to kind of pause there and the liquid soap was a little bit of a happy accident. So we started working on the liquid soap version realized that sort of like a deodorant roll-on deodorant might be a really good fit for it started looking at these tubes that we felt like the soap was getting dispensed from very well. Everything was great. It was marking so awesome. And like it was going really well. And then we got these, we placed an order of a large amount of those tubes. And initially when we got the first few samples, we were like, oh, let's go try it out with a couple of kids. And we don't really know. If it were in India, I would have so many aunts and uncles that would have some kids, or I could just go up to you know the neighborhood uh, that I grew up in and be like, hey, do you guys want to try it? But in a country 
where I didn't know anyone, it was just very hard to find access to kids. So we finally managed to put together a group of moms. We still call our soap and moms, soap super parents. And we were like, let's try these tubes out. And the first time I saw a child hold it, I was like, wow, this is such a big mistake because they would just squeeze the whole bottle out in one go. <laughs> so a tube form would never, ever work. And it was just such a huge foresight. And we're so particular about really keeping the user around every step of the way. And I was like, oh my God, this is such a massive mistake. How could we overlook this? So we ended up just taking a hit on that 5,000 unit order and being like, no, we cannot launch with something like this, even though we're completely bootstrapped and is this is putting a serious dent in our budgets. So we decided to go back to the drawing board and launch with something that wasn't a tube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is, uh, it's a painful story. You can laugh now, but when you're sitting there with 5,000 units of something that doesn't work, as opposed to let's make and give it to some kids and have them play with it and see what happens. So that prototyping misstep, that's, a, that's an important lesson learned. And I appreciate you being honest enough to share that. You get these 5,000 that don't work. So now you have to go back to the drawing board and you design what is approximately the soap pen that you have today, right? Yeah, exactly. We made a couple of changes recently, but we went with a roll-on bottle that was off the shelf and yeah, very similar to this. Yeah. We just yeah. made it a thousand times better. <laughs> a thousand times better. That's great. What year is this that you think we've got a product and it works? So we won the UNICEF Wearables for Good Challenge back in 2016. And in 2017, we conducted a Kickstarter campaign, a crowdfunding campaign to fund the larger production run. Um, and then in end of 2018 is when we launch. So it took a bit to even post that having some funding. It yep. took us a bit to get to market. Yeah. And so you get to the end of 2018 and uh, 2019 is like your first full year of production. And then comes 2020. And there's this little thing called a pandemic. And suddenly, hand washing became really critical. So what happened yeah. to you and your business during that time? Yeah, I could never have imagined it. Talking about 2019 itself, it was just such a hard year for us. As I said, we were completely bootstrapped. And we launched on Amazon because we wanted to be where the parents were. But when you launch on Amazon, you're this little fish in this massive pond. You, you just don't know how to really reach the right audience. In October of 2019, we got an article in Real Simple Magazine. We were featured in Real Simple Magazine. And it was this incredible print feature that was in the national publication. And being the millennial I am, I had no idea the power that print media had. And we completely sold out of our in entire inventory in two and a half weeks. And that was when I was rationing it out. I feel like if we had production, we would have been. And that's what gets the Amazon algorithm also going is having a large amount of people come to your uh, listing and purchase. And then it starts to get to know your customer. And then it starts to just the platform optimizes that way. 
and being sold out is like the worst thing that you can do. <laughs> so I just to put you in context of where we were going into 2020. So that was October 2019. We got the bad news from our contract manufacturer that it's actually going to take us about eight weeks to get back in stock. On Amazon, if you're inactive for two weeks, you're essentially starting from scratch. I think that was very stressful. We finally felt like we had market validation that the parents were interested in the product and that it was filling a need. And so we didn't actually have more product till January 2020. And when we came back in stock, all of our retail partners, we sell on wholesale through small boutique platforms. They bought 70% of the production upfront. But then at the same time, COVID happened and we sold out again. That was the first time we had launched this beta version of SoPen. It was the first time that we were putting it out there to a lot of uh, customers and we got two main pieces of feedback. One, parents felt like the soap wasn't vibrant enough. There's a very delicate balance in SoPen where you can make the soap vibrant and not staining. So it's this delicate balance of finding the right coloring. And then the second piece of feedback was that the soap roller ball was too wide and it wasn't rolling on smoothly. And parents felt like the kids weren't able to really draw. So when that happened, we were like, why don't we take this crucial time of where hand washing with soap is really important and it's important in a global context. I felt like times when I would pitch soap and parents would love it regardless of where they were, but we would get this question like, okay, I see the importance of hand washing with soap in India or in places where the awareness isn't really there, but what's the views of it in United States? Like, why should we care about hand washing with soap? And this was the first year that I wasn't getting asked that question. And so we decided to go back to the drawing board and address those two things. And we were actually in a redevelopment phase all of 2020. And COVID supply chains completely messed up. So we didn't end up getting back in stock after we created a mold and a custom rollerball applicator to dispense our soap better. So it just draws really smoothly on the hand. The idea is that kids draw all over. So we also made a more vibrant soap and launched in three new colors, orange, blue, and green. And one of the things, and I want to come back to 2020 in a second, but one of the things that you um, do that we haven't even mentioned yet is that you donate either soap or a percentage of your profits to partner organizations. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So early on, the social mission is ever evolving. We've done hand-washing campaigns in New York. We've done hand-washing campaigns in New Delhi and Haryana and all over India. And we've worked with partners to conduct those campaigns, or sometimes it's me and uh, a team member also going in these places. And I think what's been really exciting to see is SOPEN in action and how it can really be a great teaching tool to teach kids the importance of hand-washing and have fun doing it. And then other than that, we also realized that we might have an equally good platform impact if we donate profits to organizations that are working in the wash space. So for instance, when we launched our hand sanitizer in 2020, we donated 10% of our profits to organizations that were working in COVID. We specifically donated to one organization called the Emergent Fund that worked with Black people who had suffered due to COVID. So 
we we like to work with different partners and i think we've realized more and more that there's not one particular um program donating profits or donating soap and or donating soap so we want to be open to trying out and working with our partners to see what they think would fit best in their giving so your company has been bootstrapped right so in other words you make money you reinvest the money back in the company and that's how you grow. You also mentioned your grants, challenges, and incubators. But when I met you, actually, you were pitching on a pitch day for the Conscious Venture Lab. And it's an organization that I admire quite a bit. So can you talk about your experience of just going through that? Yeah, that was the first time that I've done a virtual incubator, which was pretty, pretty interesting. We've been a part of many accelerators and a lot, most of them have been in person and it's really awesome to have that community there. But Conscious Venture Labs, biggest learnings I think I've had is just investing in people and how important culture is to actually make it or break it kind of scenario. And the culture that you build, even starting from two people in your company to four people to six people, how much of an impact that can have and how important it is to invest in people first. I think that is my biggest takeaway from um, Conscious Venture Labs. We actually ended up fundraising, not from CVL, but through angel investors in 2020 as well. So bootstrapped until then, and then we raised around. But it was really cool to have an online community. I think check in every week and accountability partners. So in a hard year that was 2020, it was a really big silver lining. You said at uh, one point, you said SOPEN happened to you, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to you setting out at the beginning to, to be an entrepreneur. That really wasn't what you were out to do. Talk to me just a little bit. What was that like to raise your first round of angel funding? It was pretty, again, pretty crazy and random. I, I told you we're literally made by incubators, grants, and accelerators. And we were a part of a very small impact accelerator called Pursuit Incubator that was down in, they're based in Idaho. And in my final pitch meeting, one of my advisors or someone who was judging me and giving me feedback on the pitch uh, was Chris Graff. And he ended up reaching out and being like, are you guys fundraising? And if yes, I think I'd be very interested. Keep me posted. And he connected us to another friend of his who is in the manufacturing space and really has helped us out so much in that regard. And they ended up just being very, very interested in us personally and coming together to invest as a vehicle. And they also ended up creating a vehicle for impact investing in general. So I felt feel like it was just a perfect marriage that started with SOPEN. And one of the investors is also Indian, born and raised in the US, but Indian origin. So I just feel so happy that we definitely have someone who's a person of color on the board and kind of looks like me and I can look up to. You're in this accelerator and you meet Chris Graft, and then you end up with Amish on your board. And, and so things are going pretty well, but there's one more story that you haven't told yet. And it's just, it's a crazy story. So talk to me about your experience with Shark Tank. So cool. Such a roller coaster. 
I don't want to, you know, give too many spoilers, but there's like a very dramatic ending to the whole episode. And I really felt those emotions real time as well. I think a lot of people tend to believe that. And to an extent, I, I also did before my experience the scripted aspect of reality TV. And I just feel like it was such a real experience. And I I think Shark Tank does a really good job of making sure that that comes through in the entrepreneur's experience when they're recording it and in the audience's experience when they're viewing it. So what you were seeing is exactly how we felt it. And yeah, roller coaster, but spoilers, we did get <laughs> we did get funding from the Tolia and have been working very closely with him and his wife post the show as well. And it's been incredible kind of building the business with them. And his wife, what's her name? It's Mega, Mega Tolia. Mega Tolia, um, right. Her experience it, is amazing. Right. Um yeah, yeah the alignment. Yeah, it was like the stars aligned there. It so really what, did. What's Megatolia's? What's her experience then? That you know, we have a soap company, (laughs) so (laughs) Mega is like, and Mega was the XVP of e-commerce at Method Soap in design. When we were building Soapen, we read the book by the Method Soap founders. It's called the Method Method, and I would honestly, it's one of my favorite books about entrepreneurship and you know, going off the beaten path. It's just so cool to. be working with someone who's who's worked with such an influential group that has been just so inspiring in our journey. So we started working with her. She's so cool, such a powerhouse, has so much relevant experience, which is very hard to find. So it's been it's been really amazing. If people want to see the pitch, they should look at season 13, episode four of Shark Tank. And yes. and it is dramatic. <laughs> it was, and can we reveal a little bit about just right how it ended what happened yeah absolutely so we do the pitch and you know everybody was extremely supportive my worry was that the sharks weren't going to get the idea they're going to think that it's stupid <laughs> or or you know you know all those like doubts that you're going through when you're being put on like national television platform but they were very supportive, but everybody felt like we were too early in the journey for their investment. So we walked out of the tank with no deal. And as we're walking out, so there are a series of interviews, like every viewer who watches um, Shark Tank knows that once you walk out of the tank, you do an exit interview on the carpet when you're walking out. And as we were doing that interview, Nirav's like rushes out and I I just thought he's coming to say hi, probably feels really bad. He's also Indian and was just like coming to say hello, Indian to Indian. But that wasn't the case. He ended up offering us a deal. And it was such a roller coaster because we had that, you know, deep disappointment of not getting a deal. And then suddenly being offered one from a person that was just such a direct fit. And he mentions on the show as well that his... Uh, wife has experience in hand and soap. I mean, she has like decades of experience in in hand and soap. So that was really awesome. And then we ended up closing the deal in real life as well, which is really cool. Just one last thing, just to bring everybody up to date, you've recently landed in another accelerator. So talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really cool experience. 
Andreessen Horowitz is like one of the biggest VC firms in the country, if not the world. And they started an accelerator called TXO, which is the full form is talent X opportunity. And the focus is on minority founders. So women of color, women in general, focusing on minority um, founders who might not have the network that Andreessen can provide us. You know, I'm an immigrant. We don't have those connections. We didn't do a fam- friends and family round because we didn't have any family here to fund that round. So similar to that, there's just so many founders of color and founders, female founders who just don't get those opportunities. And TXO is making those connections available to us. And part of the accelerator, focusing on your marketing, really building a strong presence in in marketing channels and then the other is connection to vc funds especially yeah. if you're going to be raising around which i think most of the companies that are in the program are yeah something that you've learned on your way uh, a piece of advice that you could pass on to other social entrepreneurs i think just learning how to ask from very simple tips if you're writing an email, just a two sentence about your ask and then ending with a question is just a very helpful format that I like. So as simple as that tip to just being okay with, with asking for what you need and putting your ask out there to strangers and being very shameless about it. I think as I grow older, I've just kind of (laughs) gotten rid of a lot of inhibitions. I DM celebrities. I want (laughs) to give soapens to IDM everybody. And I just don't really have a lot of shame in asking for what I need and want. I think the flip side of that is learning also to say no. I'm the kind of person who jumps at every opportunity, just seizes everything and says yes to them. And with the help of my co-founder, Manat, who has more of a practical approach, I think I've been able to stop and think what is the end result? Like, where is this leading? What am I looking to get out of it? And being okay saying no to an opportunity that might not lead anywhere. If people were looking for SOPEN online or on social media, where would they look? Yeah, so we're on all social media platforms. We are MySOPEN, M-Y-S-O-A-B-E-N. And our website is SOPEN.com. And you can also find us on Amazon. If you were to call on us to go and do something as a result of this conversation, what would that be? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> tell that you know, three-year-old in your life to tell them to wash their hands. And if they're having trouble with it, get them a soap in. <laughs> oh, Siobhan, I thank you so much for, for sharing your story. And thanks for being here on Social Entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. And thanks to you, the listener, for joining us today. You are the reason that we produce Social Entrepreneur. You can find the show notes, bonus material, and more at TonyLloyd.com. That's T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D.com. Well, listen, thanks so much for joining me today. And until next time, please remember to use this one short amazing life and go make an impact. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time on Social Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur.